1: Was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. Jonah said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And Jonah said, Yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? The word of the Lord. Please stand and join in singing our gospel acclamation. Gospel reading from the 20th chapter of Matthew. Glory to you, Lord. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When the landowner went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go out into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When the landowner went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here all idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. The landowner said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about 5 o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But the landowner replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. The Gospel of the Lord.
0: Maybe may be seated. Grace and peace to you, my friends in Christ. It's not about the fish. It's about God's grace. It's not even about the wages. It's about God's grace and try as hard as we might, it's not about us, it's about God's grace. Jonah's story is absurd, like really, it's crazy, but much like the gospel story that Jesus tells, it's a lot like a parable. Okay, so what's the point? When you hear about Jonah, you think, well, it's a story about the fish. There's so much more. It's a crazy example of how a man called by God to deliver a message will do whatever he possibly can to avoid having to do that very thing God calls him to do. I don't know about you, but after you kind of hear what his reasonings are, I feel like Jonah kind of has a point. God says, go to Nineveh tell the Assyrians that they're to repent, to turn away from what they've been doing, to trust in God, because Jonah hears this and thinks, well, these people haven't treated us very well. Why on earth would they listen to me? I don't feel like he's out of line when he decides to flee as far from Nineveh as he possibly can. Of course, that's when the fish comes into the story. There's this big storm All the sailors are praying to their own gods that this storm would cease. And they wake up Jonah. Yeah, that's right. In the middle of this torrential downpour, he's sleeping. Like, nobody does that. Well, Jesus does that, but nobody does that. He's sleeping through this storm. And so they decide to cast lots. It's basically a dice game. It's the same way that they decide how to divvy out Jesus' clothing when he's on the cross. And so they play this dice game, and Jonah wins. Okay, that means that he's the problem. So they try to figure out why he's the problem. And they quickly realize that he's fleeing from the Lord. They're like, well, why did you get on our ship? Jonah tells them that he's, the fault, he's at fault for the storm. And the only way to stop the storm is for them to throw him overboard. No, they, they say, We can't do that. But the storm just keeps getting worse. And so they aren't that hard to persuade. So finally they're like, well, maybe Jonah has a point. So they throw him overboard. And then they're amazed because the storm ceases. They're like, wow. And they fear the Lord, they offer a sacrifice as if Jonah wasn't enough of a sacrifice, and then they make vows. These pagan soldiers are now believers in God. They're the first converts in this story. While in the water, as legend would have it, Jonah is swallowed up by a fish and entombed for three days. Where have we heard a similar story to that? He prays for deliverance, and sure enough, he gets spit onto shore, closer now to Nineveh. See, he was going this way, and God said, no, I want you to go that way. And now that he's on the dry land, he receives his orders for a second time. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Well, while he was in the belly of the fish, he knew this might be the outcome. And so he obeys. And he goes to Nineveh, this huge city. It takes three days to walk across the city, but he walks to the middle of the city. And he says, all right, people. You got to listen to what God said, or this whole town's going to be overthrown. I know you won't, but you got to do this because this is what God said. And then he's like, I'm done. I did it. I did, I, you did exactly what you told me to do, God. And they believed. They fast. And the king's like, what's going on? So they tell the king. And he said, well, we better do that. Everybody's got to fast. All of you people who didn't even hear this, you got to fast too. Even the animals, don't feed anything. Maybe, just maybe, God will relent and we will be spared. Wow. I was trying to think of like what a modern comparison to this would be. It'd be like a commoner from Ukraine being like, hey, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Moscow. Not a diplomat, not some political leader, not anybody with any acknowledged authority. Just walk into Moscow, stand in front of everybody, and say, repent. Stop what you're doing. If you don't, God's going to destroy your city. And then everybody does. And then... This guy hears about it, and he's like, whoa, we've been so wrong. We should stop doing this really bad thing. Wow, that would be miraculous. And that's what happened in Nineveh. But wait, there's more, my favorite part of the story, because God spares Nineveh, and Jonah is thrilled. Jonah is angry. God, I'm so mad at you for sparing Nineveh. He hates that the Lord is gracious and merciful, even though it kind of had just happened to him. He's furious that God relents from punishment, Jonah wants Putin and his I mean, excuse me, the king um, and Nineveh, he wants them wiped out. He's mad, but he doesn't give up hope. Here's the thing. He like goes to the outskirts of city and kind of sets up a booth and he's watching it because he's like, maybe just maybe God will still change God's mind and wipe out this city. And so he's, he's sitting in this booth and then God's like, you know, Jonah, you look uncomfortable. Let's give you this bush and it will provide you some shade. Just as he starts getting comfortable, all all of this starts to kind of build up and another animal enters this story, the worm. The worm comes and eats the bush and now Jonah's shade is gone. He's even more upset with God. He's more upset with God about this bush than he is about the human lives in Nineveh. Yet the Lord demonstrates grace by showing Jonah that even though the people of Nineveh have done wrong and have done him wrong, that their repentance is worthy of God's grace. You know, it's with this story in mind that the parable that Jesus tells us about the workers in the field might make a little bit more sense when we realize it's really not about the wages. It's not about the perceived inequality the workers who spend the whole day in the field and they still get what they agreed to at the beginning. But they're jealous, they're angry. Why? It's because these latecomers get paid the same. If we were running a business, nobody would work for us. But Jesus isn't running a farm. Jesus is in the grace business. It's about this great equalizer, God's grace. Jesus has given away grace left and right to the old and the new, to the sinner and the saint, to the Jew and the Gentile, to each and every one of us. And it's absurd. It's not fair. We don't deserve it. So, perspective. What is our role? After hearing this story, what do we do about it? Is it possible that this parable is encouraging us to get back out into the field, but to bring others along with us to tend to God's mission? And I know what you're saying. I don't want to invite other people to do things. What might this look like? I had a conversation this week, and interestingly enough, it was with a bunch of fifth-grade teachers, I got to chaperone my daughter Evie on her trip up to Deep Portage. Uh, That's an environmental learning center up north in Hackensack. I went with Finn last year, and it it didn't spit me out so bad. I was like, let's do it again. Uh, And the chaperone or the teachers know that they've got me for three more trips. So um, one of my main responsibilities, other than having an awesome time just experiencing all of these cool activities with, uh, with Evie and getting to uh, participate in, in the learning with her was the responsibility of then being assigned a cabin with 10 boys to make sure that they fell asleep at night. And that was fun. Respect and obedience to authority is not an automatic that kids give to adults. I had to build some trust and rapport patiently. The kids, especially that first night, they eventually calmed down. And thanks to the trick I learned last year of using the Pandora lullaby station, it worked again. They finally calmed down and they fell asleep. I saw the the teachers the next morning and I said, they looked at me and they're like, well, how'd it go? I said, hey, I even resisted the urge of needing to pull out my dad voice. And one of the teachers looks at me, and said, dad voice? Pull out your pastor voice. Fire and brimstone. I'm like, I'm not that kind of pastor. I'm ELCA. And that guy, <laughs> I said, if I pulled out that voice, you guys would all look at me like, what is he doing? We got to, th- we got to talking though. This sparked a really interesting conversation because I thought about that. Like, what would that look like? we started talking about what, what, are, what the kids are used to and how the kids respond to different things and how there was this lament from the teachers that there's a, the, the kids are struggling uh, because they're not necessarily getting the skills that they need. And a lot of that is happening at home. They talked about how many parents are conflict avoidant. They don't want to be the bad guy. They talked about how kids are not developing some of the critical thinking and basic human interaction skills. And so we got, a, we got that conversation going, thinking about how, what are some of the ways that, that this can get modeled? What are some of the ways that we can help teach the kids? And I, and I asked, well, do you think faith is a part of that? And the teacher looked at me and she said, absolutely. She said, having a moral center, a scriptural foundation where we can learn how to treat others, that could be a huge part of helping kids succeed. Church matters. Folks, many of our neighbors, many of the people that we come across every single day, they're wandering aimlessly. They don't have a center. They, they might be really selfish. The center is, is self. Sometimes we struggle with that too, right? Like we have this like quenching desire to win or to be first. And sometimes we don't care what happens to the other people around us. We might have this quest for perfection. And that includes Neglecting our values, our compassion, our selflessness. It might be something that starts to get embedded in our society. And many people have turned from organized religion, believing church is part of the problem. But we can be part of the solution. I think within society, we're seeing it as something called the rise of the nuns. Yeah. The rise of the nuns. Aren't we terrified of, oh, not those nuns, the nuns. The people who on the religious affiliation chart check none. Consider this. Next week, we're going to have this conversation about the nuns and the duns losing our religion. And to get us thinking about that, to get us kind of in that mindset for next Sunday, Here's an opening question. How have you personally experienced people losing their religion? Maybe it's in your family, school, work, somebody that used to go to church that now doesn't. How would those friends experience God's grace? What would it be like if they were part of our conversation next week? Would you invite them? How would you invite them? You know, the shame, guilt, fear, fire, and brimstone? It might work for a minute, but those tactics don't seem to be the ones that are going to spark the right conversations. Who are the nuns and duns in your life? Invite them to church next week. Ask them to participate. Tell them to be honest. We want to hear why. It might surprise us to hear what they say. It might surprise them To hear an invitation. I wonder what God is up to here at faith. Are we ready to be vulnerable, to share the abundance that God has provided? Can we set aside our anger, to put down our envy, to be the church that God is directing us to be? We might worry, oh, I don't think this is going to work. What if we fail? What if we come up short? What if our best isn't good enough? but it's not about us. It's about God's grace. Amen.